Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, the home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery! Yes, get in there, Matt. Now, I'm really keen to get the wheel started, get it up and running today. Let's just get it spinning Let's straight go. off. What have you been up to? Saw your in-laws recently, how was that? Oh, I see my in-laws, I, I, yeah. I even now, I've known them for years, but I just think... One wrong move, and this could all go terribly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. The wheel. What have we got? The topic for this episode is out of bounds. Out of bounds, you beauty. I'm going to have this one because this is a strange one because like many of our topics. You're going to have it because it's a strange one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, makes sense. Well, it's a strange one in, this, in the respect that sometimes, you know, topics could fit into different categories on the wheel okay. this one could fit into a few but i think out of bounds is the most appropriate for it because it's just so left of center this this event okay and it, it be, this event became one of the greatest iconic sporting moments in history oh wow it is i don't want to build it up too much but what let are we me, talking about? Let me take you to the 30th of October 1974 to the 20th of May Stadium. Hey, it's not not often you get a stadium <laughs> named after a time. No. <laughs> so, like I love like that to be a theme, you know, the 22 minutes past 3 stadium. <laughs> like, yeah. Just narrow it down to whatever. Like it seems so strange, but the 20th of May Stadium in Kinshasa, in Zaire, which has in Zaire, <laughs> so we now know. I know what we're talking about. Now, uh, now it's called the Democratic Republic of Congo, mm. but it's a huge country right in the heart of Africa. Now, the stadium actually was named after the uh, the the day that the movement of the popular revolution was established the npr we won't go into that now because no it's the need. wheel of sports why don't you tell us about what it's about our listeners are still <laughs> going if you don't know what happened in zaire look they've probably read the title of the podcast and it's all given away but <laughs> in case they haven't <laughs> this event attracted one billion viewers one billion matt and this is in 1974 the population of the world was only four billion that's really what- that's 25% of the world had eyes on this sporting event. Now, you might think a sporting event would be like the Commonwealth Games. No. The Olympics. No. The World Cup. No. What was it? It was a. It was two men having a punch on. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was two men deciding who was strongest after a, after a brutal engagement. Uh-huh. It was heavyweight boxing and here in the ring for this matchup almost maybe the matchup of the century was George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali and they're fighting each other in Zaire now let's take us back because how did we get to Zaire we'll probably buy airplane at the time but how did we get here in terms of the story it's kind of strange because You've got all these different elements happening for this fight to happen. This is like an era of fighting and these big fights actually taking place away from America. Like George Foreman, who stars in the, in this fight, he actually fought the undefeated Joe Frazier in 73 the year before and knocked him down six times in two rounds 
that was in Kingston in Jamaica mm. in the Sunshine Showdown. Because this is a real golden age for boxing, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's uh, You've got so many great fighters. And it's one of those things that really makes people switch on the TV and, and seek out. These guys are he- uh, household names. There's a few kind of in the modern era who are household names, but there's not many. Nah, it's not the same, is it? And it's, as it, it's, as I get the sense isn't. that, yeah, boxing now has nothing on on boxing then. Yeah, and it just seems such. You're a, not getting a billion people watching any. No, and it's bout, surely it, not. it's such an occasion back then as well. But you've got this movement around the world as well that there's clearly an audience. Partly that plays into that is that a lot of the best fighters are black. And you're in America at a time just after the civil rights movement and, and, and probably still continuing as well. And with the Vietnam War in full flight, this is a real time of transition in the U.S. in, in terms of civility. And there is this kind of sense that boxing has been used as one of the pawns in the game because the white element in America has been using criminalizing boxers or like they did with Muhammad Ali just before this fight. He's been banned for three years because he dodged the draft yep. of Vietnam, which he actually avoided prison, but he was banned from boxing mm. for three years. It's extraordinary. And that was at the prime of his life, his late 20s, early 30s, where he's completely barred from fighting professionally they arguably took away his best years obviously the the song by bob dylan the hurricane you know charts the another great fighter who who was framed for a crime he didn't commit but used as a pawn in this uh, civil rights game so really kind of a lot of history there but this fight starts off with don king he is the guy very charismatic with very gray and, and lively hair he is not that well thought of by certain sections in the US. If you look at his rap sheet, it doesn't read too well. Don King, let's, well, up to, up to this point, as we record this podcast, he's had lawsuits with Mike Tyson, the sports channel ESPN, Terry Norris, Larry Holmes, Lennox Lewis, Chris Bird, Muhammad Ali himself, Tim Witherspoon, who presumably is quite good at the bar in court. And he's also introduced Donald Trump at a campaign event. He's in his life, he was charged with killing two people, shooting a man in the back and stomping one of his employees to death. Oh my. Don King is could be described as unsavory. Yeah. <laughs> as a character. But he's the big promoter, right? He's the big promoter. He wants to get this. He wants to get these really big headline fights done. The problem is, is he doesn't have too much money. But he locks in Muhammad Ali against George Foreman. Now, George Foreman up to this point is undefeated. Mm. He has a knockout rate, which is just extraordinary. And this matchup, almost a comeback for Ali. He's 32 Ali at this point. George Foreman is 24, 25. He's two ages at once. I mean, that's how good he is. Now, he, <laughs> Don King promises him $5 million each for this matchup. 
Now, Don King doesn't have $5 million each for these fighters, but the fighters agree. Uh, but in order to, for this event to happen, he leans on Jerry Mizuchi, who's a music businessman. This seems like a strange partnership. It's all entertainment. It is entertainment, and it will have relevance a bit later because he also enlists Fred Wyman. Now, Fred Wyman is actually a, a U.S. advisor to the Zairean dictator, Mobutu. Now, Fred Wyman persuades Mobutu that this will be a great PR campaign for Zaire. It will gal galvanize his people domestically, but it will put Zaire on the world map. Yeah. And you know, dictators, they like that sort of thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so he helps him get this fight organized and sell this fight to him. They still don't have enough money for it, though. So they've got the venue, they've got a date, but they don't have enough money. Who should step in? But old mate, Colonel Gaddafi, <laughs> the Libyan dictator, he, s he funds and bankrolls the prize money. And also uh, lots of other of the major expenses for this fight to take place. So talk of you start with Don King being unsavory and then just move through the list. Yeah, <laughs> this fight can only take place with some very, very unsavory characters enabling it and really pushing it. Now, let's get back to the fight. This is a fascinating contest because George Foreman, undefeated world champion, defending his title against Muhammad Ali. Now, as I said before, he'd previously defeated Joe Fraser, one of the greatest fighters of all time. But he'd knocked Joe Fraser down six times in two rounds, extraordinarily, when the match was called off in a second round knockout. And that was only a year before. George Foreman is an absolute tower. He's six foot four. He's got a reach of over two meters. That's 80 inches in old money. And despite him in later life becoming a Baptist preacher, he's got an orthodox stance. Oh, my goodness. That's so, so bad. <laughs> now, George... That's the worst one in this <laughs> podcast by George... far. Oh. <laughs> George... <laughs> I'll just carry on. Just plowing through. George Foreman, at the end of his career, put, put this into context, he's had, eight, he's, he's had 81 fights across his career. Won 76 knockouts. 68. Yeah. So he beats people up. He is a hard hitter. Yeah. He is a tower. He is looking, coming into this fight, young, fit. He is looking. The word is invincible. Mm. That word keeps cropping up. George Foreman, invincible. The way he goes through his, uh, you know, even when he comes up against Fraser, you think Fraser could have the measure of him down six times in two rounds extraordinary ali 32 years old he's been out for three years because of the uh vietnam dodging the vietnam draft i mean you dodging the vietnam draft is one way of putting it the other way of putting it is ali said he refused to fight on principle he was a conscientious objector yep. he said i'm not going to another country to kill other poor people it was quite powerful at the time to have someone so high profile and that's why he was made an example of but 
being that much older than Foreman, he also loses an inch in height to Foreman. He's six foot three, and his reach as well is shorter, only 78 inches or 198 centimeters in new money. And despite Ali uh, turning to Islam, his stance is also orthodox. So, so proud of those jokes. You're getting absolutely not, no appreciation. I'm not sure <laughs> if you can make them. I'm not sure if they're allowed. <laughs> no, it's not like religious people get uppity about these things. It's Aww. fine. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> Tell us about the boxing. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Um, so the fight, it's all locked in for the end of September. Jerry Mizuchi, he books in a heap of acts to play a music festival before the fight. Brilliant. So they can make a real event out of this. Who's there? Who's there, Matt? Who isn't there? The Crusaders, the Spinners, Bill Withers, B.B. King, Celia Cruz, James Brown. Nice. Playing live in Zaire. This is a concert for all time. It's brilliant. Yeah. But there's a bit of a problem. What's the problem? George Foreman. He's training. He's out in Zaire trying to acclimatize, same as Ali. And he's sparring. And his sparring partner cuts him above the eye, puts the fight back by a month. All right. So they have to reschedule for the 30th of October. They don't reschedule the music, uh, the festival. So does the concert get cancelled or do they just do it in September? They keep doing a concert uh, on in September, as was already organised. But it kind of serves to prolong the anticipation the yeah. and the hype and playing a concert in Zaire I mean domestically the people of Zaire are getting this drawn out as well so the eyes of the world they sense the pride it's really coming to the fore and it's building and building the anticipation for this already overhyped fight and it just plays into the hands so well for Muhammad Ali because George Foreman is very much taking a real professional sportsman approach to his preparations. He's cut above the eye, has to be put back. That really throws him off because he just can't fight as he would like to in Mm. his training. And he's obviously, psychologically, it's a bit of a a confidence blow because you're worried that is it going to heal in time? Is it going to be a weak spot? And so in the meantime, Muhammad Ali, he's on the PR job. He's doing an amazing job of getting out on the streets with the people of Zaire and he's using a very populist approach he's talking about the establishment he's talking about the white man against the black man he's talking about him being the poor black man and George Foreman who's also black being white establishment so it's a really interesting thing and to the point where the people of Zaire the the chance that goes along with Ali when he's in out in the streets when he's any, anywhere and getting mobbed is Ali Bombaye Ali Bombaye which means kill him <laughs> Ali could you kill him wow that's the chance that follows and echoes around Zaire for the time that Muhammad Ali is there. He is so charismatic, so charming, so generous with his time. And he's sparring with kids in the street and playing and he's 
sharing so much of himself with the people. When we get down to the 30th of October, 1974, and we're in the 20th of May stadium, the atmosphere is electric, mm. but there's clearly one crowd favorite, which yeah. is Muhammad Ali, and they're making it known. They're singing Ali, 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 Bombaye. Foreman, you can see he's just really focused. He has to be in his own world because here he is far away from home. And this feels like a home fixture for Muhammad Ali. Yeah. The whole crowd are with him. In the run-up to, uh, to the fight, Ali utilizes one of the greatest journalists of the 20th century who was covering the fight in Africa, David Frost. Oh, wow. So David Frost is the lead anchor covering the fight. Wow. And before, he's in Ali's training camp and they're sat in the boxing ring that Ali trains in. Mm -hmm. And they're having this chat and Ali is electric. He is on so, such good form. And Frost is completely given over to him. Bearing in mind, Frost is one of the iconic journalists in America and, and the UK of the 20th century and dealt with some very interesting and fascinating people. You can just see he's completely enthralled by Muhammad Ali. And understandably, Ali's coming out with so many great sound bites, as we call them now. He says to David Frost, if you think the world was surprised when Nixon resigned, wait till I whoop Foreman's behind. <laughs> I mean, everything's got a rhyme. I mean, he, he goes on this uh, real poetic um, kind of rant which finishes up with the line, I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's so good. I've wrestled with an alligator. <laughs> I've tussled with a... I believe you totally. I, I have, believe you completely. I have tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. Now, you know I'm bad. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> Man's in trouble. He's so enlightened, and it, there's points in the interview where he's up and he's sparring with David Frost. I mean, it's extraordinary. Wow. I think when you compare Ali, uh, and it's very difficult and unfair, really, to compare him with anybody else, but you think of the modern uh, people who get traction in the media. I'm thinking maybe likes of Conor McGregor, who's a UFC fighter, who certainly courts the media. But... You watch Ali, he's saying sometimes the most aggressive things, like McGregor might, and intimidating and trying to, uh, um, you know, throw his opponents off. But Ali has just got bags of charm. The world has been deceived. You listen to me now, I've never told you wrong. The man don't hit hard. He knocked Joe Frazier down six times, he got up six times. Joe King Roman is Tokyo Japan fight, the Puerto Rican champion, knocked him down three times, he jumped up three times. He knocked Ken Norton down four times, he jumped up four times. When have you ever saw the man say seven, eight, nine, ten, count his man out? When I hit Sonny Liston, the second fight, he stayed off of the count of ten. Zora Foley stayed off of the count of ten. Cleveland Williams stayed off of the count of ten. What few I have knocked out stayed down. Sugar Ray Robinson knocked him out for the count of 30. Joe Lewis, Marciana, Jack Dempsey, Jack Johnson, Archie Moore as a child, they knock him out cold. So this man has never knocked nobody out cold. He's a bully. He's slow. He has no skill, no footwork. He's awkward. And I have given him a name. 
I named Floyd Patterson the rabbit. I named Sonny Liston the bear. And he shall be known officially as the mummy. He's got a in his eye that says, you know, this is a joke. Mm. And you know that this is, you know, I get what's going on. And there's one point where he's up and he's sparring with David Frost. And he's getting David Frost to pretend he's <laughs> George Foreman. And he's saying George Foreman is the mummy because he fights with one foot sliding around the floor with both arms out. <laughs> he looks like a mummy that's come out the tomb. Yeah. Now, everybody's like, despite this being a very unfair depiction of one of the greatest fighters, most invincible fighters, everybody there is just chuckling away at this brilliant <laughs> takedown that Ali is doing. It's so brilliant, and the footage is amazing. I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. Why, Why the mummy? Because he fights. When he's fighting, if you ever watch him in the ring, he, 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 he drags like that after his opponent. <laughs> <laughs> And how's a mummy going to catch me? And clearly this all plays into the stadium and into the ring because Ali has made it very clear that people are here to see him. Yes. George Foreman isn't a ticket draw. He, George Foreman absolutely is. But Ali is very clear to say he's the one that people are here to see. And in Zaire, yes, they're here it's to true, see yeah, Ali. Yeah. It's very, very true. And many people... The pundits, the experts, they just think that Ali is here a bit of a lamb to the slaughter. Ali's quick, he can move, and he's going to tire Foreman out. But Foreman is a machine. He is slow, but he can soak up punches like anybody. And if you get caught on the wrong side of one of Foreman's punches, you are done. So you leave Foreman one opportunity, and he'll knock you down. And that's what Ali has to contest with. And so it's a really strange when the bell goes for the first round, Ali comes straight out of the blocks. This is a bit unexpected because Ali goes in fighting. It was expected that he might be a bit more defensive and try to work Foreman around the ring and tire him out. Yeah, yeah. But he's straight into Foreman. He's, he's jabbing really long arm right jabs to Foreman's head. Foreman's a bit taken aback by this. It's only to right towards the end of the first round that Foreman actually starts to get a bit of a grip on Ali. But Ali is taking two steps to every one of Foreman's. He's dancing around and he's attacking him. Now, when Ali, Ali sits down, cross over to Joe Fraser, who's ringside. Yeah. Now, Joe Fraser has, like, he did a bit of prelim to the, to the fight. And it was rubbish. <laughs> it was so bad. It was just it, well, he's got. He just had nothing to say. And nothing. Yeah. To, he's like he was guessing Ali's weight. Right. Like, that's written down somewhere. He was sounded like Sandra at Weight Watchers. Yeah. Like it's it's just rubbish. But here he's like Ali just can't keep this up. He is going to be in trouble very quickly here because he's come out at such an intense and frenetic pace. Round two sees a complete seat change. Ali decides to be a bit more static. He starts to invite Foreman onto him. Very, very risky. But he's holding his hands and defending his face, and he's holding it into the side. And all Foreman's reduced to is hitting Ali on the side. And Ali's leaning on the ropes. Now, this is normally a very bad tactic against George Foreman because 
he when he gets you into the corner or gets you against the ropes, you're done for. He basically eats you up yeah. and will just punish you. And he's trying his best against Ali. And what you notice is that Ali keeps trying to put his glove around the back of Foreman's head and his neck, and he's pulling Foreman's head down. The referee is always very quick to break this up. But then you notice Ali, every time, one thing that's moving very, very quickly is Ali's lips. His mouth is going, he's talking to Foreman at every opportunity. And he's saying things to Foreman like, throw more punches. <laughs> he's saying... Just, just absolutely <laughs> trash talking him. Yeah, he's saying, they told me you could punch George. They told me you could punch as hard as Joe Lewis. <laughs> and it's just like, every time he's relentless, he's taunting him and taunting him. And Foreman is punching and punching and punching. And Ali is soaking and soaking it up. It's extraordinary. I mean, after this became known as rope-a-dope, leaning on the rope, soaking up the punches till your opponent gets tired and then being able to hit them and, and get the advantage over them. Do you know who came up with the phrase rope-a-dope? Go on. Muhammad Ali. I thought it might be. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Judge, jury, executioner. And here, Ali, I mean, it's... You watch the first round and then you watch round three and it's like two different fighters. They are exhausted. The heat in Zaire, that 85% humidity, it's punishing. You just see them slow down and slow down and slow down, except for Ali's mouth, <laughs> which Still going. keeps going. And look, Ali has a little window because he made form and stagger at the start of the fourth round. And near the end of the fifth round, with just a, a great volley of combinations, he's just taking those little opportunities to really catch Foreman when he's off step. But the thing is, Foreman is used to soaking up punches, and he's not off step very often because he's on the attack all the time. Hmm. And he's really punishing Ali and punching him in the kidneys, but he's not really scoring many points because he's not getting any clear shots, because Ali keeps wanting to chat to him, so he keeps pulling him in by the neck. As this fight goes on, you're thinking, can this go the whole distance? They just seem to be get tighter and tighter, and Foreman, he thought he could still knock out Ali, even in round seven. He punched him, like gets this clean shot right to Ali's jaw. Ali shakes it off, grabs him, and whispers into his ear, is that all you've got, George? <laughs> and <laughs> at that point, Foreman knew that maybe Ali was in with a chance here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that moment when the exhaustion starts to hit. Round seven, the heat, the atmosphere, the lights. And then the, the barrage of verbal volleys as well. <laughs> that's just the bullying <laughs> that, that's, that Ali is subjecting him to. It wasn't until like the eighth round you watch and it's so brilliant. The foreman is still plowing in, but it's so slow now. It's almost depressing because there's punches being thrown into the air, into daylight. It's mm. really kind of... What, by both? By both, but mainly by foreman because Ali's just not taking the risk. Mm. 
Ali's ducking and weaving still. He still almost looks like he's train in a sparring training drill. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Foreman, you can see, he just wants to this fight over with. He wants to punish Ali. And I'm sure the psychological effect of Ali taunting him all the time. He wants this over with. He wants to catch Ali with just that one good punch. And so he's taking that risk of landing that one great punch. And he's almost in the clear at the very end of round eight. There's only about 20 seconds to go. And Ali is on the ropes. He's soaking up the punches. And all of a sudden, with a couple of sidesteps, the tables have turned. Foreman is now on the ropes and in the open. Ali is heading towards the middle of the ring. And Ali just lets this lightning combination. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. Foreman opens up and Ali clocks him straight in the jaw. Extraordinary. Foreman, the punch spins Foreman from the ropes into the middle of the ring and down onto the canvas. The count starts and it's over. over the referee calls it off at this point the fight stopped the scorecards all favor Ali 68 66 70 67 69 66 the crowd bear in mind Ali even during even during the corner when he sat in the corner during the rounds was waving his arm in the air encouraging the crowd to sing Ali Ali yeah 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 <laughs> They just erupt. I mean, just so brilliant. And there's this really sad scene of Foreman getting up. I mean, Foreman, what a great fighter. He has been sat down by Ali in the sun sunset years of his career. And he's lost the title mm. in Zaire. And there's a really sad scene of him cutting such a lonely figure as him and the four people from his corner. They don't walk through the crowds. Nobody's looking at them. The footage shows them walking. Everybody's left their seats because they're all trying to mob Ali. Oh, and George no. Foreman can't just exits the stadium to nothing. Yes, yeah, so when you say they don't walk through the crowds, that's because the crowds aren't there. The crowds are... They, They've yeah, all gone to get They've Ali. gone to the ring. Oh, man, that is sad. And it's like he's just been let out the back door. Uh-huh. Just... And it, kind of uh, something that you can't imagine today just wouldn't happen and Ali becomes the new heavyweight champion of the world incredible what's also incredible is this was a pay-per-view event before satellite tv so 50 million viewers paid to see this in theaters in closed circuit TV, it was broadcast oh, right. across the So it was early runner for satellite and cable television. Uh, so to watch it, you'd go to a cinema. Yeah, you'd go to a theatre where wow. they broadcast it. And then there was uh, 
this promoters. Can you imagine the atmosphere in those cinemas when oh, that would have been extraordinary, electric, wouldn't it? Yeah, so good. And twenty million dollars was made for the promoters. As I say, estimated one billion audience, and even in the UK, twenty six million people watched it. What was the population back then? Probably around 50, 50 million. Yes, yeah, like half. <laughs> half of the people. I mean, it just gives you some perspective about how big a fight this was. That is crazy. What an amazing story. And the reason it's out of bounds is just because, I mean, anything involving Colonel Gaddafi, out of bounds. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Don King added to the mix. And just everything about this fight just so many things shouldn't have made it happen but it happened and it's almost even researching it it's a bit like a hallucination (laughs) it just doesn't seem like it's right for it to have happened but there they were in Zaire there they were fighting two of the greatest fighters in the world and obviously Ali and Foreman they became friends afterwards they weren't Ali was no longer up in George Foreman's grill Mm. oh very nice because George Foreman does grills. <laughs> That's the best <laughs> one. <laughs> I love that you have like a, a TripAdvisor rating system yeah. for, for my jokes. Um, <laughs> and Foreman actually helped Ali um, accept an award later in his career. He helped him, helped him up the stairs. I think it was at the Oscars. And um, there's this real... Um, charm to their relationship and and kind of George Foreman this was a a kind of grief for George Foreman to lose this he was invincible and he lost Mm -hmm. but later in his life he kind of realized that it was okay to lose to the the greatest man who's ever fought in the ring Mm. and not the greatest boxer the greatest man and out of bounds Muhammad Ali incredible amazing what a story I mean, it's it's just such an epic tale, isn't it? And it's one that it goes beyond boxing. Everybody knows about the rumble in the jungle, even if you don't know necessarily what that is. The beauty about Ali is that he went beyond sport. Yeah, he was he was everything, you know, in 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 his outlook in terms of the people. Like he he got more traction than most politicians would even know how to, and the rumble in the jungle. I mean, just everything about it. The the, all the dynamics just make this perfect storm. And for Ali to beat George Foreman just makes it one of the most extraordinary stories, sporting, but also beyond. And I think I managed to fit it almost into half an hour. <laughs> Amazing. Our listeners should feel very grateful at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very grateful to our listeners and to you, Ian, for telling that uh, superb story. Please get in touch with the show uh, at The Wheel of Sport on Twitter and Instagram. Also, you can email us, thewheelofsport at gmail.com. And please give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Really do appreciate uh, you guys getting in touch with us and look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks again, Ian. That was terrific. Thanks, Matt. See you next time. And I think it is befitting that I go out of boxing just like I came in, defeating a big, bad monster that nobody could destroy. A hard punch. I'm the underdog. If he hits me, I'm in trouble, like the Sonny Liston fight. But I came back, and I shook the world, and I got Liston. Now, it's 10 years since Sonny Liston. I'm meeting another big, bad, strong monster 
knockout artist that beats everybody. Sonny Lister knocked out Patterson twice, and I was supposed to fall, but he didn't knock me out. He, because he could hit hard, but he couldn't find nothing to hit. George Foreman knocked out Ken Norton, knocked out Joe Frazier. True, I didn't knock him out, but I'm so fast, I'm so hard hit, I'm so scientific. I'm a totally different man from Frazier Norton. Listen, David, when I meet this man, if you think the world was surprised when Nixon resigned, wait till I whip Foreman's behind. <laughs>